Welcome to Kingdom Success University, where I teach kingdom principles that will transform you from the inside out. Building your life on solid foundation will provide consistent and repeatable success no matter where you are at in life. Some of the key principles that will be taught on the podcast are leadership, finances, mindset, attitude, and much more. Tune in to hear today's episode and enjoy. Kurt Shears grew up in upstate New York and is the fourth oldest of 13 children. He graduated from Ohio University with a bachelor's degree in psychology and has spent almost a decade in manufacturing and logistics environments, helping to develop people-centered quality programs and process improvements. Outside of work, Kurt is a husband, father, podcast host, and a volunteer pastor. Over the past five years, he has helped launch a church startup, created a small group leader training program, and is in the process of writing a book on discipleship. Well, welcome Kingdom members to Kingdom Success University. We are glad to have you here. We have made some new iterations to this podcast, which I'm so excited about. But I am excited about today's guest. Um, now, this gentleman here has, uh, he and I have known each other for, you know, going on two years now. And um, we connected at a previous employer, which will remain anonymous. Um, but uh, when we made that connection at work, I can definitely tell you it was fire. And ever since that, that interaction, that encounter, we've always had that connection going back and forth through text messaging and things like that. And now I am glad to finally have him here on, on our podcast here, Kirk Shears. How's it going? It's going great. I, I really am excited about the show, James. When you texted me, I was like, man, James having me on his podcast, this is, this is a real privilege, man. I'm yeah. honored. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I know the audience knows a little bit about your background with your family dynamics, but, you know, just high level, let them know a little bit about yourself, because it's always good to hear from the horse's mouth versus just like from the video. And uh, yeah, yeah, we'll right into it for sure. All right. Yeah. So uh, I grew up in upstate New York. Um, I'm the fourth oldest of 13 kids. Uh, you know, spent my entire life pretty much in, in New York, raised in a a small town called Homer, just outside of, you know, cornfields and pretty much nothing else. And uh, came out to Ohio for college and work. And I've been working in uh, continuous improvement and quality assurance for the past man, close to a decade now. And essentially, I'm, I'm very people driven. I majored in psychology and in, in uh, at Ohio University. And so what I really like to do is find ways to connect work to really the human experience. Like if we're going to spend a lot of time at work, we should be, you know, motivated to be there and have a purpose to be there. And so that's really what drives a lot of what I do is really just finding ways to connect to people. And that's kind of how you and I met was, you know, just connecting with the people at work and then having those discussions about life just in the context of, you know, having to work a nine to five. So, yeah, that's really what I've been doing the past, you know, 10 years or so. And in the midst of that, I've been doing a lot of uh, work with local churches around here. Um, primarily in discipleship, one-on-one um, -on -one and also group discipleship, leadership training within churches is also within the corporate environment as well. So doing things like uh, 
Myers-Briggs assessments. And um, one I'm really big on right now is called the Working Genius Assessment, but leading those at work and going through those. So that's just a little bit about what I do and, and my background. But I'm, I mean, I'm always looking forward and always looking to make progress and improve. No, that's, that's absolutely awesome. Because for those who may not know my background, my background is also in Lean Six Sigma, which can be basically continuous improvement, right? Um, so he and I had that connection. So we understood the, okay, we have to continuously improve ourselves in order to be better, right? And so that's just the way that we operate our lives. So that's why today is going to be dynamic because we actually talked through a series that we want to present to the audience here, which is the creation of a kingdom father. Because the reality of life here, and, and, and uh, Kurt, Kurt will get into this as well as myself, is that, um, that we come from different backgrounds, but we also connect with the, our faith and, what, and the things that we went through as children, as when we went through childhood, and when we went through boyhood, and then, you know, manhood, and then now we're fathers. So it's like that same, like, economy in terms of, like, the circle of life. It's like, we went through it, and then now we have children who will now be going through it as well, right? And so I'm excited about this series. So this series is just not one, but it's going to be four. It's going to be the childhood, which we will get into today. And then it will be the boyhood, then the manhood, and then we're going to uh, finish it off with fatherhood, which is awesome. So, uh, so I'm excited to have you here, Kurt. I know that the audience is, so I'm I'm happy about that. But Kurt, let's let's just kind of take a step back because you, you talked about growing up in New York, right? Now, New York is not the easiest place to live, right? It's expensive, and the people may not necessarily be the nicest, okay? Um, they're not known as the nicest from what I've heard and from, from, from what I've experienced. So can you walk us through the just the life of like 14 kids? Like 14, right? If I'm not 13, 13. 13 excuse me. So 13 yep. children in the house. So what what was that like? <laughs> well, so what was interesting about it is we lived in um central New York. So it was like very rural, very uh, cold in the winter. We were right in the snow belt. So we got about 200 inches of snow on average a year. And winter lasted for like 10 months. There's there like, you know, a couple months of spring and summer, but winter was pretty much all you had up there. And so, you know, growing up in my house, you know, I was number four in the order. And so I got to watch most of the my siblings be born. And we were, it was interesting because, you know, there was 10 boys, three girls, and we were all about two years apart. There's no twins, no adoptions. Everybody's from the same set of parents. And so we hit it. We eventually hit uh, kind of a tipping point where we had a person being born and a person graduating high school. So in the house at one time, there was only ever at most nine kids, but then there, there was my parents. So essentially we had 11 people. So growing up, I had I think at most 11 people in the house, but it was 11 people with one bathroom. And so that was a 
a dance of priorities, especially, you know, I learned that seniority was a real thing. So like your older brothers got to sleep in longer and like you had to wake up early if you wanted to shower and things like that. So it was very, it was a very unique childhood from that perspective, but also I didn't know any different. I mean, for me, it was just, I look at it and I had people saying, you guys should have a TV show. And I thought it would be really boring. I mean, we were just a really big lower middle-class family at best. And there wasn't a whole lot of drama or excitement. I mean, we weren't all dressed the same or anything. So it's, it wasn't, it wasn't like it was a, a big, you know, thing that we, we didn't stand out. There was nothing that weird about us from that perspective because yeah. people think large families mean weird, but yeah. we were just kind of a, a normal house and, you know, did what everybody else did. So Kurt, who was the prankster in the, in the uh, family? Oh, the prankster, man, that's a good question. I think, you know, from, <laughs> It depends on what you mean by pranks, because my older brother, the next oldest, number three, he liked to do things to me a lot as far as pranks go, but we were constantly <laughs> fighting. I mean, like it was literally, I have vivid <laughs> memories of wrestling down our staircase yes. and like there was a nail sticking out of the wall and it ripped his shirt and and he was always bigger than me, but it always seemed like that's the way it was, is we were just constantly wrestling. If we weren't wrestling, we were watching TV and then wrestling again. And like, that was the way the whole you know, my whole childhood went. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's always one, you know. Mm-hmm. Out of 13, you gotta know it's like one person who just loves to prank people, the irritant, <laughs> you know? Uh, yes, I don't like to call though, you know, them that, but hey, it's the reality, right? So got you. But so, so let's take a step back, right? So we're talking about the phase, the phases of men, right? And the things we go through. Because what, what's exciting about this is that most people or most women out here have have not experienced or heard from men from a man's perspective, like what we go through emotionally, right? Because mm-hmm. we go through phases, right? From an emotional perspective. And I and what I'm excited about to talk to you about is the emotional aspect of childhood and having a family of 13 in the house that there, I know it's just physically hard to really allocate the proper time to say, okay, I need to, you know, hone in on their gifts, their talents to make sure that, you know, that, Hey, that this child is ready and prepared for 18. You know, when this person, when this child goes from, childhood to boyhood to now manhood right so um mm-hmm. so yeah so this is what i'm excited about so scripturally speaking i want you to really take the audience through what you've been really thinking about in terms of the these phases and the phases of uh of men that that we go through and just kind of walk us through that process of your of, of how you think about Sure. So one of the things when you first reached out and said, Hey, I want to do this series on fatherhood. I started really thinking about it and going, okay, you know, what do I, what do I want to talk about? I have a four-year-old son and, you know, grew up in this big family. And one of the things I started looking at it and the way I base a lot of things in life is through the lens of the Bible. And so when I was thinking about it, I was reading in Luke three and it it's the genealogy of Jesus. And it takes it back from, you know, Jesus and, and his 
parents all the way back to Adam is what the genealogy does. And then when it gets to Adam, there's this really interesting phrase that says, Adam, the son of God. And that kind of, I'd never keyed into that before because what it was essentially saying was, you know, the first relationship outlined in the Bible is between a father and a son. And it really struck me because if you look at what Jesus talks about in a lot of his discourses in the New Testament, you see that he talks about the father and doing the will of the father and those kind of things. And so when I was really processing that, I said, wow, you know, what's interesting is when you're a, a boy, when you're, when you're born, really you're moving towards fatherhood is, is the ultimate progression. And so that made me start looking at Genesis because, you know, Adam was the son of God. So what does that look like? And so when you start reading in the Genesis account, in Genesis two, what you start to see is something really, really interesting. And it's the fact that as you read through the, the creation account of Adam and Eve, you start to see these dynamics of psychology and men and psychology and just general and childhood development. It starts coming out as you look through those initial passages of the creation of man, which to me was really, really fascinating because I had never considered that before or even looked at it. And I didn't even think that that was something that the Bible really had in it. And so when I, I think about this topic of, you know, being a man and, and growing up and what am I aiming toward as a man, ultimately, it's this imitative kind of lifestyle of eventually becoming a father. And so if you look at that lens, even from being a boy and your dynamics with your, with your own dad and your own parents, it, it really creates an interesting perspective as you look at the Bible through that lens. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. I can tell you, you know, even in my background, um, so I was raised in a house where my father wasn't present. Um, and at the time, my mom was, you know, in and out of uh, out of jail and she was going through her stuff. But then um, so I was living with my grandfather and living with my grandfather was a different situation. Very unique because because um, he was married to uh, our grandmother, uh, which I, we call her Mama. I love them all. Shout out to her. And um, and so she has, you know, so she has like daughters and then grandchildren. And so they moved in with us. And so that house was filled with like eight women. So outside of my grandma, it was like eight women in the house. And it was only one of me. So um, so that, so I'm 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 on the flip side, right? So so, um, so I saw um, firsthand, you know, emotions um, from that from that point, right? Uh, the transitions that that women go through. So, so, um, so I'm coming at it from a different angle because, hey, you you come from a house where mom and dad married, children in the house, so they see that standard of of, of like the relationship, right? The, the picture, because in Genesis chapter one, it's, you know, it's obviously, right? It's God, it's God, Christ, Holy Spirit. And then in Genesis uh, chapter one, verse 26, when, when, when God said, let us make men in our image, and he said male and female, that that marriage is basically the mirror, the mirror of, uh, of, of God's relationship with the Trinity, right? With God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. It's the picture. So you come from a from a home like that. On my side, 
I didn't come from a home like that. You know, grandpa sleeping in the den, grandma sleeping in the living room. So I'm like, mm-hmm. that is interesting, right? <laughs> so so let's kind of let's so let's go through some of those emotional uh situations, right? As as a child. So walk us through, you know, as as being a boy, like how like how did you start to come to terms of okay, start to exerting yourself and learning yourself, learning your personality as a child? Well, one of my earliest memories, and I think it's interesting that it stands out so much to me this way, but I, I remember standing in our kitchen and we had 70s like burnt orange countertops. And I remember like I remember them vividly. Like yeah. they stand out in my mind. And we had this old white coffee pot. And I remember standing there and looking up at the coffee pot and had the light on. And and whenever my parents had people over, they liked to make coffee, even if it was, you know, eight o'clock at night. And so the coffee pot was on. And I remember staring at it. And I remember my mom saying to me, Don't touch it. It's hot. And as a kid, I just had this draw. I was like, you know, I know she said hot. <laughs> what does that really mean? Yes, and and yes. you know, my and that's the thing, like being being a psych major in college, you learn that kids don't have a developed prefrontal cortex. Like that's the front part of your brain. Like it's not developed. And it doesn't fully develop until your early 20s for men and or well, no, sorry. It's early 20s for women, mid-20s for men. So as a kid, you don't have the front of the brain, which is responsible for like critical thinking and like walking through and playing out a process beforehand to say, hey, maybe I shouldn't do this because this could be bad. And so I, I just remember back to staring at that white coffee pot and going, you know, I think I'm just going to touch it. And, and really just reaching up, putting my finger right on it. And it burned a lot. And I remember crying. <laughs> I remember my mom grabbing a cup of cold water and sticking my finger in it. Mm-hmm. And but that's the first time I really remember, you know, exerting myself from like a memory perspective because it was okay. I had this direction, and I was told not to do it because I was going to get hurt, and then I did it anyway, and then I paid the price and the consequence for actually doing it. But that was really the first time that I remember really setting myself up for for failure because I just decided, you know what. I know this this adult said this, but I think I got it covered. I, I can figure this out for myself. <laughs> right, right. So so that that was like your first like moment of, oh wow, okay. I okay, that's this is the reality of life right now. Right. <laughs> All right, yep. that is hot. I now know what hot <laughs> is because I've experienced hot, right? Yeah, right. exactly, exactly, which is like amazing. And, and with, with your family, right, uh, with your family dynamics, like, hey, talk, walk us through, you know, just as a child, too, um, from seeing a strong marriage. Like, what did that do for you as a child when you saw that um, from a, just from a marriage perspective, but then also from a parental uh, perspective, like how the mom parents you versus your dad? Right. So I would say for me, the, I just thought it was normal. I just assumed that everybody was, you know, husband and wife, and this is just a normal thing for a kid to have. And then I started getting getting into the public school system and finding out that like most of my friends only had a mom or a dad or just their mom or they were with, raised by their grandparents. 
there were, I didn't really know a lot of people who had both parents still in the home. And I mean, we grew up going to church and there was a lot of people there who, you know, were in married couples. And what's been interesting later on is how many of them have gotten divorced and how many of those families are still not together. And, and the reality was, you know, my parents being together was kind of a, a phenomenon that I didn't really see a lot around me. And what was interesting growing up in it was there was two real dynamics between my dad and my mom. Like I say, my mom is probably the most patient woman in the world. And I think to be pregnant for a decade of your life, we did the math once it was about <laughs> 10 years of her life was spent pregnant. <laughs> and so, mm. and so, uh, she was extremely patient and she didn't get, um, angry easily. And she was much more calm. And then my dad was, you know, tended to be more emotional, which was interesting because you would think, you know, from a, a father, wife or father, mother relationship that you would have the mom being more the emotional one. And, you know, my dad being more stoic, but the, the reality was my dad was actually, I would say more emotional from a standpoint of he could get fired up a lot easier. Like, I don't remember <laughs> seeing my dad cry like most of my childhood, but he definitely looking back on it was the more emotional one. And so it was interesting because there was these two pulling dynamics on you as a child. Like I had a healthy respect for my father because I knew if I didn't toe the line, there was going to be, you know, <laughs> something coming my way. Oh, and, yeah. and, but then, but then I had a, um, a safer feeling with my mother because she was much more nurturing, much more patient. And so from that dynamic, I had both sides of it. And if you look at the psychological literature, like even if you Google, you know, psychological importance of fathers, what you see is there is a, a stark difference between the parenting styles between a mother and a father. And when you have one or the other, it's not that you don't have a complete childhood. It just means that one has to compensate more for the lack of not having that other side of it. And so even like when my son was born, I couldn't even conceptualize that I was having a son until he was actually physically like in my arms. My wife had a son nine months before that. Like she was, she was literally carrying him for nine months and had a connection. But for me, I couldn't manifest the reality that I had a son until I physically held him. So there's these differences between fathers and mothers. And that's what I saw even growing up was just the fact that there are two different styles and, and they're both needed in a sense because of the fact that one, like you said, develops that emotional side, like that empathy, that caring and the other side kind of pushes you. Like my dad's favorite thing when we played sports was go out there and hustle. Good hustle out there. Like, I, I want to see you hustle like that was. And as a kid, I was like, I don't know what that means, but I think it means just run fast. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was something that he always said which right. makes a lot more sense right so <laughs> uh so then so no this is good right because you know for me i didn't really have that because my grandpa was very quiet you know and my grandmother you know she didn't really talk she she was emotional but she will only get emotional if uh, if you do something to her where she just gets you know upset, right? So um, 
but you know, but but mine was a little bit more different because my mom was like in and out of jail. I'm not trying to put a business out there, but it's just the reality of life. And you know, um, and she was just at a at, at a place in her life where she just wasn't mentally stable yet. And so, um, so when growing up, it was the hard piece, and I, I can just go through this, and, and, and you can talk to this as well. Is no one, no one was really guiding me to say, why do you feel this way? You know, like when when going through certain situations where someone would make me upset, my sister would make me upset, right? And instead of just saying like, my sister frustrated me, and she says, ah, no one sat me down and say, well, why does that get you upset? What is the what is the what is that? And by the way, and there I would go from like zero to a hundred, right? Just over any little thing, right? Because as children, you're not really, you know, again, like you said, you know, we, we, we don't have that critical thinking there yet. And so it'll go from zero to a hundred. But no one was really guiding me through that process, which I wish that as I was growing up, that's the one thing that I did wish that my parents would have done to say, okay, let's walk through emotional intelligence. So let's talk about that. Like as a child, like did, did, did your parents really sit down and say, okay, Kurt, we need to teach you about emotional intelligence? Nope, not at all. But I think, honestly, I think that's generational because I look at, I look at my grandparents and I, my grandparents were much harder on, on my dad than you know, like my grandfather on that side. He, he I, like, he was a guy who was just really super aggressive from that standpoint and really super disciplinarian and you better toe the line. And that was who my grandfather was when my dad was growing up. And so that idea of, you know, even, even a male figure talking about something emotion, emotional, that wasn't a thing. Like you didn't really address that side of it. And I think even growing up in my household, there wasn't really a lot of sitting down and saying like, hey, how are you feeling about this? It was more, you know, hey, suck it up, wipe it off, you know, brush off your knees. <laughs> my dad would, would uh, say sometimes, he's like, pain's all in your head. And you go, yeah, but it hurts. But he goes, yeah, but it's all in your head. <laughs> which, was, which was technically true. It was right, technically right. true. Yeah. But he, but that was the thing is like, there was, there was no real sitting down and, and really processing through a lot of stuff like that. And I think a lot of that processing uh, was more amongst like siblings. Like it was more amongst like the peer group around you and kind of talking through different stuff at home with, you know, your friends and things like that. And, but from a, a parental perspective, there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, touchy-feely stuff outside of affection from my mom but it was more you know hey you have responsibilities like we were as soon as you were old enough to pick up a log of wood we were pitching wood into our basement for the because we had a fireplace as a, a kid growing up and so you had to stack wood floor to ceiling in the back room of your basement and so as soon as you were able to hold a log my dad had you out there in a chain gang going all right, here we go. We're passing yeah. the wood. And so <laughs> from that perspective, I mean, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of handholding from an adult perspective. And I would consider myself 
pretty emotionally intelligent now, but I don't think any of that really was um, a byproduct of something that I learned. I think a lot of it was more in my personality. It wasn't something that was taught. It was just because I have a natural empathy toward people. It makes me want to connect. It makes me want to find out, you know, why they are the way they are. Yeah. And, and even I remember even being a kid, I was playing outside in the snow and we had built like a snow cave out of like with shovels and tunneled it out. And we had built a slide to go down through it. And I went down and the thing collapsed on me. And as a little kid, like that scares you half to death because you think like you're buried alive. And I remember sitting with my mom in an old rocking chair that we had and asking her a question about um, something about being born. And if like she was there uh, when, you know, like I was out of the room or something. And it was it was something that I just remember as a kid asking a really like weird question because I wanted to connect to my mom, but like being really, you know, emotionally um, sensitive to the response of it. And I don't even really remember the question as a whole, but I just remember being a kid and being like really emotionally connected from that perspective, like emotions and emotionally connecting with people was something that even because I was probably five when that happened, like I still remember that vividly and like the emotional response to it. So I've always been really sensitive to emotions just naturally, whereas like I can think of some of my other siblings who they're not. You know, that wasn't the case for me. Um, you know, my, I, I remember vividly my grandfather was, and again, similar to your grandfather, uh, uh, disciplinary. Um, he would, my grandpa would go to the club, you know, drink, and then he would come back. And it would be like two o'clock in the morning. And I already knew exactly like the mood that my grandpa would be in just based upon the steps, right, in the house. So if he took more than 32 steps, I knew, okay, he's upset. He's about to wake everyone up and have everyone clean up this house. And he would do that. He would just wake you up in the morning. And, and we're like, what? The kitchen's not clean. The room is not clean. About this floor, sweep this. My grandmother upset. She's like, I'm trying to sleep. And uh, so my grandpa was like, you just do it. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, my grandpa also was the kind of man where even if you're sick, you still go to work. Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. like, I remember one time my grandpa had the flu. And I'm thinking, oh, grandpa about to stay home. Okay, cool. Man, my grandfather, my grandpa gets up and goes to work. And I'm like, what the, what is he doing? <laughs> like, what are you doing? And he, like an hour later, he came back home an hour later because his boss had to like force him not to work. He's like, look, you, you can't come to work. You're not well. You got to go back home. And that's the mindset that I grew up in. And so like the emotional intelligence just wasn't that. And I can tell you, I didn't have empathy for people because my grandpa didn't have any empathy. He just like, look, oh, oh, oh you burnt your hand? Just don't do it again. You know, that that's the house that mm -hmm. <laughs> right? It's like, yeah. oh, okay. I was like, but it hurts. I remember vividly at nine when we moved from Fargo Avenue to uh, uh, Nolan Street, uh, you know, on the east side of San Antonio, Texas. 
And I remember he he bought he he bought this bed, and I was like, oh, okay, this is a great bed. And you know, when you're young and you live in the hood, now now I lived in the Wheatley Courts. Now people who hear this will know exactly what the Wheatley Courts is um, back in the day. So we lived in the hood, Kurt. So um, so one day we moved in this place. I think it was like the second week that we were there. And I was like, all right, Grandpa, so are you going to buy me some shoes? I'm nine years old. My grandpa was like, well, what you talking about? Uh, I mean, I need some, some new shoes. He's like, boy, uh, if you don't work, you don't need. I'm like, I'm like grandpa, I'm nine years old. Like, like, boy, I was working when I was five. Okay, since I was, I'm like, <laughs> like, where was you working at? Where? Like, who, who would allow you to work at any job at five years old? Like, what? Like, that is not possible. So my grandfather was not that kind of person. And I can tell you, it, even though I learned a lot about, you know, um, doing the physical things, I can say that I struggled in the boyhood and manhood with emotional intelligence. Because I know there's some people out there, Kurt, who may not necessarily have that intuitive mindset, right? To say, hey, I want to empathize, right? So, but on the flip side, there were some things that you struggled with as a child too that wasn't really a strength of yours. So like just walk the audience through that to say, hey, look, I wasn't strong at this and I had to learn this in my later years. Yeah, I mean, for me, the most vivid thing, especially from early childhood, is I used to stutter. I used to, even it was bad. I mean, that's another one of my really early memories is standing in my, my kitchen in my house, looking up at my mom, because as a kid, I was like three foot tall. And like, I remember looking up at my mom and feeling this intense frustration because I was trying to get something to, to come out of my mouth. I was trying to get these words out and I couldn't, it was just, and I was just stuttering. And yeah. For me, it was interesting because I found out years later, my mom told me that the reason I stuttered was because my, my aforementioned older brother, number three, he was, uh, he would always cut me off as I was learning to talk. Whenever I would start to talk, he would cut me off and start talking over me. And so I developed a stutter because of it. And actually the stutter ended up going away when, uh, when he went off to kindergarten. And so it was one of those things where I, I remember going through that, but to this day, and that's the thing, like people don't think that kids remember a lot before the age of five. And most of the time you don't, unless it's a really emotional memory. But the reality is the stuff that's happening up to that point, your personality is, uh, is just mostly established by the age of seven. So that's a really important thing to realize is like your personality and who you are as a person is primarily established by the age of seven. And so when you look at it from that perspective, one of the things that still irritates me to this day is if I have to repeat myself more than twice, like there's something inside me that just wells up like a, a latent <laughs> frustration and anger. Like if I have to repeat myself a third time and it's because I stuttered is because that is such an emotionally charged thing to me that I had to overcome it. And so now one of the things I, and I think it drove a lot of why I like to write, like I like to write, I like to do 
you know, the podcasts that I do. I like to speak. I like to, I like to express myself because as a kid, I had trouble doing that. And so I wanted to be good at expressing myself because that was something that I had to overcome. And so, you know, I didn't really grow up in, in a, any sort of rough neighborhood. We were, you know, we weren't rich, but we were just kind of, you know, in the middle of nowhere next to cornfields and you just played with the neighbor's kids. And that was about it. Like there wasn't a whole lot going on there, but at the same time, it doesn't matter what context you grow up in, you have struggles. You have these things that you have to overcome as a kid, whether it's bullying, like I had siblings who were bullied, like there's things like that, that we all face and we all have to overcome, but we can't underestimate how much that shapes us as adults because it does. And if you even look back at, you know, the whole account of Genesis, like the whole thing about Adam being created, that's one of those things where there's a certain level of newness to life when, you, when you're a kid and you're, you're learning and, and going through stuff. But when you screw up or when things go wrong, I mean, it's, it's massively formational to who you are. Because I think a lot of times it's the struggles we go through, especially young, that shape us way more than, you know, the things that we go through when we're older. Absolutely. 100%. You know, I remember, you know, um, when I was seven years old and uh, we were at this, we were at this um, playground and my mom wasn't there for two weeks. I'm like, man, where, where is my mother? And I remember this guy named Nate. He was, uh, he was, you know, uh, one of my uh, dads, or I, I still call him dad, but, you know, uh, my mom's boyfriend's, you know, friend, he would, you know, watch us. And I remember mom called on the cell phone and at the day, you know, at that time, it was like old school, old phone, like the big, big you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, phones, yep. right? Yep. <laughs> and I was like, mom, where are you at? And, you know, mom was in the hospital. But I remember that moment where that moment was when our lives changed drastically because we were living in Sunrise. At the time, it was a suburb area in uh, San Antonio, Texas. This is where uh, a lot of the Caucasians were, were living, but hey, African-Americans was moving there who like made good money. And so it was a nice area. And I remember the moment that we moved from that to the east side, which was the ghetto side, okay? I'm not, I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying what the reality is, is that that's when life changed to say, whoa, okay, that's a transition, right? And when a child goes through a traumatic uh, transition like that, along with, you know, being around people who may not necessarily be good for your children, like selling drugs or doing drugs, drinking, things of that nature, that um, it really puts things in perspective of like the things that people go through. And, and, and what I want the audience to really see is that it doesn't matter what race you are, right? It doesn't matter because there are people, you know, that are Japanese and the Chinese that, that are Asian. It doesn't matter. There are people who are going through struggles and you know, the thing is that you got to fight through them, right? You got to fight through them. And as a, and as a, as a man, right, um, you know, uh, Kurt, like, you know, let's just talk about, you know, those struggles. But then as a child, like, what, what is that emotional 
like obviously you were angry, right? You're like stuttering, right? You're like, ah, mm-hmm. like I really want to communicate to you everything I know, right? <laughs> right. Right. But then there's but there's other things too, right? Where, hey, um, when as a child you start to notice the opposite sex, right? Or you start to notice certain things, right? Like you said, when you start to go to public schools, you notice things differently. So what was so what was that transition like? Where where as a child, okay, we're here, this is great, mom and dad are married. Godly family, we're tight. Uh oh, majority of my friends is only. Where, where's that? Where's that, Kimbo? I ain't here. So how was that? I mean, for me, I I didn't really have a lot of close friends growing up. I mean, we were pretty we were pretty sheltered from a standpoint of it was back when, you know the late 80s, early 90s, when like evangelical America was like, hey, having unbelieving friends is a terrible idea. And so like my parents were really, my parents were really like super uptight about that. And so I remember um, having mostly friends who were either older or younger than me, because it was about how many kids the church had. And then you would just, you know, latch on to whatever the the kid group was closest to you and i i distinctly remember the the problems that caused because like my older brother didn't want me hanging around with his friends because that those are his friends and i was just the tag along <laughs> and so it really created a, a situation where i i look at a lot of my younger years and it it makes a lot of sense why i i got into things like reading and and really getting more into like internally myself and really having a fear of other people because of the fact that, you know, Hey, you're not supposed to hang out with non-Christian kids. And, and so it really kind of affected the way that I engaged other kids in school. And I just, I even remember, you know, an apprehension about going to other kids' houses and, and things like that, just growing up. And it was really tough from that perspective, trying to engage um, other people. And so how that resulted was, the really outgoing people, like uh, my friend John growing up, I remember I met him in fifth grade and he uh, came to the fence at the back of our house because there was a park behind our house. He came to the fence and my little, I think my little brother comes in and goes, hey, some kids here looking for you. And so I go out to the fence (laughs) and it's this kid, John. And I was just like, all right, hi who are you? Why are you here? And because John was outgoing, he just entered my world. And it it was like, it took people breaking in. And really, I would say John was a key part of, you know, me meeting people socially from there on out was because I needed somebody to, to come into that. And what was really interesting about all of that too, was like, one of the first things he said was, I'm gonna take your sister to prom. And this was like fifth grade. So my mom was immediately suspicious of this kid. (laughs) so and so like but that was really it was an interesting part of it because again I think when we get into these faith-based environments right we we tend to think that the world outside is danger and we need to circle the wagons so my experience was that's the way it was we were we were really circling the wagons we were making it you know hey you just stuck with your friend group and so what it resulted in is a, a very I'd say vibrant inner life like it was much more, a lot of things internally. And so I'm much more prone to be 
um, an introvert because I don't want to interact with people. But again, that's a lot from my childhood because there's a natural fear of rejection and, and a tendency to be uncertain about the people around you. And so from, from that sense, I mean, it was very difficult for me to um, really interact. And so that, that was something that, again, your childhood and how you interact with the people around you really shapes later on in life, your tendencies for even being introverted or extroverted. Uh, what 100%, right? Because um, I can tell you, uh, I always wondered with my personality, like, because I'm so extreme about like things that I do in terms of like the word and studying, like I, I'm a grinder, like that's just always been my, like that's been instilled in me. My grandpa, you know, he would wake me up at six o'clock. We're, 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 we're going to cut these bushes. And, you know, and it's not the trimmer, like the, like, like the, uh, like the wireless trimmer is actually the the cutters, right? The little trimmers, like the <laughs> yeah, actual. Yeah. Like you have to manually cut the bushes, <laughs> and I'm like, "Kimbo, that's what we got to do today." He's like, "Yeah," and then and you know, in Texas, it is hot. Like it is hot, right? So we had to get out there <laughs> ahead of time, and I'm like, "Man," and so I would have to go out there, and and these bushes, and you know, it it's always interesting. We had the long bushes. Like I'm thinking, like okay, we had like short, small. Okay, no big deal. We had long, like this thing had to be leave about six feet, six six feet long. I'm like, man, and we will be out there for two and a half hours cutting those bushes, and then we have to like rake up the rake, rake up the leaves and put them in the trash. And I'm like, man, ah, man, when I get older, I'm not doing this anymore. You know what I mean, like. You know, like, where's my life? Like, where's my, where my, where's my childhood life? Like, why do I have to do this, right? So, right. so my life was a little bit more different, right? Because, <laughs> because, uh, hey, we, we as a family invited everybody. We're like, hey, right, next door neighbor, don't matter. Hey, bring them in, we good. But there was like no vetting process at all, like no qualifiers, nothing like that. Now, obviously, my mom would like say, "Hey, this, you know, you don't want to hang out with this person, whatever." But, but for the most part, uh, for the most part, when growing up, my mom did like, all right, shield us a little um, from those kinds of things. But getting into boyhood, which is not today's series, that that actually changed drastically, you know, but you're absolutely right. And I can tell you that, um, like what you said, introvert, extrovert, even when the, the way that kids speak, like for instance, uh, this is a great example. You know how um, you, you talk to your children, how like some people talk to their children, and I've, I've seen this a lot, um, like how some parents talk to their children, like their children, like Oh baby, how you do it, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know, what's interesting is that I don't talk to, I've never talked to my children that way. Now I would probably say, you're so cute. And they're like, ah, you know, right. But when I talk to them, I talk to them like they're grown adults. Right. Mm. Now, obviously, I don't have expectations of them to be grown adults, right? Because <laughs> that's unrealistic. But when I talk to my kids, I talk to them like they're grown adults. Hey, 
What's going on? How are you feeling? Why did you hit your sister? Why are you screaming? What's wrong? Um, um, you know, why are you not eating? And you know, what's interesting, like today I realized when I was talking to my oldest, Faith, um, she was talking so clear. She was just like, oh, it's my toe. My middle toe has this red spot on it. I don't like that red spot. So that just makes me nervous. So dad, what are we going to do about this? If I, I mean, I can literally hear the whole conversation and I had to like take a step back, right? Because these are just moments as a father, I just laugh, right? And she's like, why are you laughing? Like that's, that, that's exactly what she said. She's like, why are you laughing? I'm, I'm like, you don't get it. It's so cute, right? But mm-hmm. I, it, I realized I don't talk to my kids like they're kids. Their mother doesn't talk to them like their kids, right? And so it's very important as a child, right? And we're talking about men now, right? As boys, that even though that our parents told us, suck it up, stop being Mm -hmm. emotional, right? About it, right? Now, obviously, your mom, your dad was like that. My dad, my grandpa, my grandpa was definitely like that. I'm here to say, that doesn't help, right? That actually causes more issues, emotional issues in the long run than it does solve a problem in the short short run, right? Because now when it comes to being a father, now when it comes to being a manhood, having to be in a partnership, now we have men treating relationships, women like, hey, shut up, suck it up, whatever, right? Which doesn't necessarily connect or work in a kingdom relationship, right? right. And so, 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 I mean, would you agree with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the big thing about relationships, and this is something that I notice at work all the time, uh, the, the main problem in every business, the entire reason I'm employed is because people are terrible at communicating. Like that's the entire reason I'm employed. Like the, the, the truth of it is like, because people are terrible at communicating one, they either over communicate or they under communicate or they don't communicate with the right people. It's usually one of the driving reasons why things fail. And so when I look at even like what you were talking about before that idea of communication, like your grandfather was very direct and you know, Hey, this is how it is. And this is what you need to do. One of the things like you do with your kids that I do with my son in particular is I try to get him to think because one of the things that I do when, when something happens, like he, he skinned his knee, like we were walking around the neighborhood and he fell skinned his knee. Like every little kid on the face of the earth has done over the past, you know, since the creation of man. And so he went through the whole thing of like, you know, being upset about it and crying and, And then what we started to do is I had to, you know, clean it and put a bandaid on it. And, and then I started talking him through like, Hey, no, we have to do this because your body's going to heal. And then he started asking questions. He's like, well, how? And so then I was able to find like a YouTube video about like a kid's video, like how platelets work. And I was just like, (laughs) all right, we're getting into this. And so, and so for the rest of the rest of the time it was healing, he's like, Oh, my platelets my platelets are working. And I was just like, (laughs) 
And but to me, like that's the kind of stuff where there's a couple things I want from him. I want him to be a good communicator. I want him to understand that there's a process behind life, really. Like there's a lot of things that interconnect together, and communication is the way that you connect with people. And so I really want him to have those things. And when I look at, you know, really communication is a thing for being a, a boy, and especially from not being able to communicate as a kid myself. Mm-hmm. Like if we learned how to communicate better, then we would solve a lot of the world's problems. But the, the, the same on the same token, going back to Genesis. So if you think about that story, God sets up his full domain, like he, he creates this place and then he puts a human being in the midst of it. And then there's a relationship that's formed there where it's a human interacting with his heavenly father and in the dynamic there of there's communication in it. Like the father gives instruction to Adam to say, Hey, this is what I need you to do. This is what, you know, I expect from you. Here's the ground rules, so to speak. And then at the same time, one of the primary functions of a dad from a communication perspective is encouragement. It's to be an encouragement to your kid. Because if you don't encourage your kid, they're going to look for that encouragement somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things, too, that I look back on my childhood and that older generation, they weren't good at communicating that, one, they loved you. Like that was more a given like that. Well, I don't need to say that. You know, you should just already know. And then the other part was, you know, the reality of it was the communication wasn't always encouraging. And there's passages in the Bible that says fathers don't um, aggravate your children. And essentially it's because as, as an adult and as a dad and as a, a man, you want results, you want outcomes. And so when your kids don't give you the outcomes you want, it's very natural to like dig into them because it's like, hey, you know, you're just being lazy. You're being and, and that deflates a kid and they hold on to that stuff. And that's the kind of stuff that we have to look at from a Christian perspective and say, look, when God created us, he was communicating from the beginning. It says he spoke and creation came into being. So communication is at the core of the universe. And so if you think about it from that perspective, why do we fail so much? It's because we, we don't communicate. And, and if we don't have a connection with God, we're going to fail to communicate in general just because of the fact that we don't have our life centered on the right stuff in order to imitate it, in order to be effective in who we are. And that goes for both men and women, because it's really, we have to align to something greater than ourselves or else we're just directionless. I'm in a hundred percent agreement with you. And that's what actually, that's what's happening out here in the world now. It's a lot of, directionless people <laughs> that that portrays like they're going somewhere but they're going nowhere fast right you're a hamster on a on a wheel going nowhere fast and with that i want to thank kurt so much because i know that we got in so much and and this is all going to seep into everything that we do so just to let you know what this is going to look like. So this is going to be broken out into four different parts. So this part is the boyhood phase. Then, I mean, the childhood phase, excuse me. 
Then the next one will be the boyhood phase, where we'll talk about the things that we go through as boys, right? Where now we're learning, learning about girls and even interacting with friends who are now being intimate with, you know, with, with women, right? And, and we have to talk about this because it's, it's a fact of life. It's just what it is. And so we, we want to talk about those things because that's going to really help, you know, people out here to understand what we go through. But then uh, we'll talk about the third phase, which is the manhood. And this is going to be very interesting because, um, because Kurt and I have lots of experience in that, right? And then, uh, oh, yeah. then oh, now yeah. the fatherhood, which is definitely an uh, amazing, amazing phase. But in each of these phases that we talk about, hey, we are going to provide some type of guidance, some, some tutorials, right? Some, some, some information for men to really just, hey, how do, I, how do I now equip myself to be a better father if those who are fathers? But, but also for those who are not fathers, hey, how can I just be a better person? in a relationship, right? So we want to provide that kind of uh, information for you because it's just a lot to get into and we will not be able to get into every single piece of this. So Kurt, I want to thank you so much for joining us to talk about this very, very important uh, phase of men's lives um, because again, it's not spoken on a lot and I don't see it a lot on TV and I don't hear it on TV shows. But, you know, we are made fun of all the time. Like, oh, he don't know what he's talking about. But you know what? We do know what we're talking about when we're sitting on, centered on Christ, for sure. But with that, please subscribe to Kingdom Success University, the podcast and YouTube channel. And you have a great day. Thank you for listening in on today's episode. Please subscribe to the podcast and YouTube channel.